0: Writer's Block, podcast powwow, proudly presented by Super Colon Blow Serial. There's High Fiber, and then there's Colon Blow. I am Rylan Grant, screenwriter, Ringo Award winning creator of fine comics like Aberrant, Banjax, and The Jump. The other voice in the dark, the man in the box to the right this time.
1: David Avalone, comic book writer, screenwriter, film guy, uh, drunken reprobate.
0: Love it. Uh, if you missed any of our previous conversations, episodes featuring comic luminaries like David F. Walker, Matt Fraction, Stan Sakai, Kevin Eastman, Cecil Castellucci, John Lehman, and many, many, many more, our entire catalog can be celebrated via YouTube, iTunes, Spotify, and other purveyors of worthwhile ear crack. So double on back and check that out. Uh, and uh, as always, we have a great show for you today. So, Avalone, why don't we
1: go ahead and bring our uh, our fine guests on, huh? We have with us today, Aaron Nabus. I hope I pronounced that right. Nabus? Uh,
2: sort of like uh, Naboose rhymes with caboose, I guess.
1: Naboose. <laughs> Good right. to know. Planet well Nabus. <laughs>
2: there you go.
1: <laughs> and the bridges. Billy and Susan Bridges. Oh, Welcome hello. to the show, gang. Howdy, howdy. Aaron, tell us a little bit about yourself.
2: I am a freelance graphic designer. Um, I'm co-host of the Holly Show podcast, and i um, yeah, we have been broadcasting since uh, 2016, so we just celebrated our 100th episode, so uh, that's a good, uh, awesome milestone for us. And uh, to be honest, I had a uh, writer's block as a, sort of like a, a, a podcast that I wanted to go on as part of my bucket list. As a writer, hopefully down the line. So wow. I'm pleasantly surprised to be here already. So you know, well, for me. <laughs> you can
1: scratch that one off. <laughs> <laughs> Move and, that and one sorry, off. sorry to make it so sorry to make it so easy for you. You didn't have to wait too long.
2: Yeah, I know. Thank you. <laughs> and hey, Billy, hey, Bridget-
1: hey. yes, go right. ahead, Dylan.
0: I was just say, the Holiday Show is a great, uh, great podcast, and I've been on—I uh, I don't know—three or four times already. So uh, I go, lost Go dig those episodes up. Yeah, I, I always kick my way on.
1: Uh, you know, Aaron tries to bolt the
0: door, but I kick it open somehow. So, yeah.
1: <laughs> and the Bridges, Tilly Bridges, Susan Bridges, tell us a little bit about yourselves.
3: We are comic writers and screenwriters and audio drama writers and writers and writers and writers, and writers of everything. Um, our and first, producers. And producers. Our first creator owned comic, Kill Switch, came out last summer in trade from Action Lab Danger Zone. It's Mazel a da. sci-fi, cyberpunk, action, social justice book that we're very proud of. Uh, let's see. And we've been running PendantAudio.com since 2004. Wow. Uh, we are a podcasting website, mostly audio dramas, although now we carry fine shows like The Writer's blog, So
1: <laughs> <laughs> And Pulp Today. That's right. We are, we are diversifying. Out. Yeah. Another, yeah, another it,
2: fine podcast. It,
0: it, yeah, it's it's worth clarifying that Tilly and Susan are technically our bosses. So,
2: uh, you know, we're no, 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 no.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> and I just subscribed to you.
3: No responsibility for this show.
2: I just subscribed to Pope today. Today. Oh, so. thank
3: you,
1: thank you, Aaron. Today, yes, today. Today. we're uh, we're rolling that out uh, due to the kind offices of uh, Tilly and Susan. So, yes, podcasting. We wanted to talk about that today. It's essentially a new medium in this century, even though obviously it's got a lot of relatives in uh, radio. But we want to start off by saying, how did you get interested in it, and what drew you to working in the format? Uh, Aaron, why don't you start?
2: Sure. Um, Back in 2012, um, I left the corporate world, and I moved back down to San Diego. And I started working for a small uh, design agency. And I happened to live um, maybe 30 minutes away, walking distance. And so, you know, I was listening to music on my walks to, to work. And then all of a sudden, I, I got turned on to podcasts. So I started listening to all these podcasts. And um, in 2014, a friend of mine, um, Alex Benedicto and I, and another friend, Ed Santos, we started HallH.com as a blog. And then we started interviewing people. And um, I had already you know started recording our conversations. And I would sort of transcribed into a blog post. And then a light bulb went off. And I said, well, I just turned these recorded conversations into podcasts. So, in 2016, that's what we did. Um, and um, the All 8 shows sort of—we sort of taught ourselves as a voice for independent creators. So we, you know, obviously we're missing comic conventions um, right now. You I mean, uh speaking about San Diego Com- uh, Comic Con, you know, I'd, I'd schedule at least four to five uh, interviews during that time period, and um, it was always a balancing act trying to sort of <laughs> um, get our schedules together with our guests and you know with all the panels that we cover but um, I think it's important because I, I remember one year I was at Comic-Con and you know most people know who who, who Ron Lim is who are in, in comic books but I noticed that his table had nobody there and I thought that was a travesty because you know I grew up a, a fan of the Silver Surfer so I read a lot of his, a lot of the comic books that he, he illustrated and so that thought stuck in my mind so once we started the podcast and even when we started the blog our mission statement was always to put the spotlight on artist alley and small press you know it's uh hall h is sort of like an ironic kind of site you know anybody that thinks of hall h you know you'd think that we would cover all the mainstream hollywood stuff but you know we kind of think you know we're going to turn this whatever spotlight what kind of whatever notoriety we can we can use you know with with hall h we're going to turn the spotlight on the independent creators and and um it's been cool just getting to know everybody, like you know, Ryan and hopefully we can have everybody else on this podcast on our podcast because I think it's important. Uh, stories matter and you know, I'm a firm believer that if you don't tell your own story, you know, someone else is gonna tell it for you. So that's part of our, our MO, basically. That's
1: great. Yeah, <laughs> I, I wondered I wondered about the Hall H uh branding and whether or not that was intentionally ironic.
2: Yeah, it was. <laughs>
1: The, um, uh, the I mean that,
0: that mission, uh, as you said, is a very important one and um, and I've uh, you know I'm just I'm very thankful to, to Aaron. Aaron was one of the the first podcasters, the first comic journalists to kind of really embrace me as a creator and embrace uh, specifically my, my first book aberrant. Um, I think you had actually had me on before Aberrant ever like hit a comic shop. It's like, hey, this is coming out, and you guys, uh, <laughs> you guys need to be keen to this, and you guys need to go out and order this before it's uh, and, and that's interesting. There there aren't a lot of uh, you know, comic journalists, podcasters uh, out there, um, uh, you know, looking to prop people up before they've uh, you know, before they've they've made a splash, right? And um, and I think that you've done that for dozens of people, if not hundreds of people, you know, um, uh, I mean, you're out there fighting the fight and kind of championing mm-hmm. these people. And then, um, and, and your, your track record is, you know, pretty substantial. I think.
2: Yeah. I mean, <laughs> but, you know, come to and, think of it back in the beginning, I was, I was always thinking, you know, numbers, what, what kind of numbers should we try to aim for? You know, and you hear, you hear all that all the time that, uh, you know, all these influencers who have all these millions of followers or hundreds of thousands of followers. But I remember one year I was at a comic con uh, and I would I would say maybe a handful of people came up to me. They they didn't know me. I never met these people before, but they know me from online and through my social media. And they they said, "No, thank you for episode, you know whatever." It could I think might have been the one of the episodes with David Peppos. It says if um, if I never would have heard of this, they ep- heard this episode. I would never have found out about Spencer and Locke. And yeah. so you know I've had dozens of those throughout the years, and and I kind of thought you know all that matters is if I can help spread the word of these incredible creators that I have on the podcast to at least one person. no that's like so rewarding for me and that, that makes it all just that much more worth it. I, I think in the long run, and and if, you can, we, if you can get right. someone to
1: pick up the, the one book, mm-hmm. you know, that's the, that's the crucible. They could end up picking up everything Pepos ever writes, or they could decide it's not for them, but until they pick up that one book, they're not, you know, they're not part of the equation. So right. it's it is everything to get that first read in.
0: Mm-hmm. We, we we actually we had Pepos on. Uh, we recorded that on was it Tuesday? I mean, we recorded Tuesday. it early this week, and 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 Pepos was on, and you know, it, it'll air the week before this one. But Pepos was on, making that exact same point, uh, just mm-hmm. saying that um, that you know, particularly early in his career, but but always. Um, you know, this, this game, when you're, you're a writer and a creator is getting people to, I mean, you can write the greatest book in the world, but nobody is going to fucking care unless somebody puts it in front of them. Right. That is so true. Um, and so, and, and fans are one, uh, uh, you know, one at a time. Um, and, uh, and it's, it's alarming how important podcasts like yours are. Um, you know, I, I think some of my, my most enthusiastic and, and, and vocal fans, uh, come from you know me doing spots like I did on yours um, mm-hmm. uh, you know I, I, I can literally see it in dollars and cents with uh, my Kickstarter campaigns because um, because you know podcasts have very loyal enthusiastic followings right and when somebody like you endorses a creator endorses a book says hey guys like seriously this is worth you know I, I know you have time to read five books in a week this should be one of them they take that seriously. And, uh, and and you're not going to put a book in front of somebody that you don't think is good and, and worth reading. And uh, and then those those people become fans for life. Right. Mm-hmm. That's True. Uh, That's all. And they come back and they come back and they come back. I,
1: I also want to highlight the idea of uh, laziness being a really good motivator, because I have had <laughs> I have had to uh, transcribe interviews myself. And I have definitely contacted the website that made me, (laughs) and said, "Can we just post the audio of this phone call? Because it's really good. (laughs) Like, I really don't want to have to put this (laughs) through the software and, you know, fix all of the errors and all of that." Uh, Tilly and Susan, how did you get started in podcasting? So, 2004 sounds like you were very much on the bleeding edge of podcasting becoming any kind of a social force.
3: I mean, we fell into it backwards. We started before podcasts existed. Uh, right. We just wanted to do make things and put it out there, and you didn't have HD cameras in phones back then, um, right?
4: So a lot of people think that we got into it because oh, you were big fans of like old time radio. No, well, <laughs> I was I
3: mean, uh, to some degree. I but...
4: wasn't why, <laughs> right, though. Like, it wasn't like we, we were just such like, fans. How we do, do we it? make something cheap that people can listen to? Right. Because yeah, we didn't really have you know. I mean, you see all that stuff about all these famous people now, and they're like, "I was a kid and I had a Super 8 camera and I made movies." And I'm like, "You were rich. <laughs> that means you were rich."
1: <laughs> I know that's I, that. That is. A, I in in college when you know I went to college when we were still making things on film, and uh, yeah, the the I made maybe four 16 millimeter films in four years at college. The kid who was from Beverly Hills made twenty of them. Of course, because he could afford to burn through all the film in the world. Where I was like, I have a hundred feet of negative left to finish this thing, and then that's it. That's all I got. Um, and it it definitely the democratization of the arts. Uh, like you guys, I I did a web series in '99, which was before that was a thing, and I was too early because literally I didn't have broadband, <laughs> like. I couldn't watch when I watched my own show on a 56k modem it was a series of fascinating still frames with a great audio track <laughs> on it uh and the frames looked great but I myself I did not have the equipment to watch my own web series which I thought was ironic <laughs> in, its, in its way um and uh and I can see where that would have been you know that that, that kind of thing is always a a, a stumbling block whereas audio easier to do all around what were the first podcasts you did and what you know what kind of stuff were you doing then
3: well we started off doing like fan fictiony stuff just kind of getting our feet wet we roped in every friend that we had they weren't actors these were just people like doing it as a hobby and so they were you and know we even
4: did some things too and we were not good like getting stuff we
3: didn't know what we were doing we we're just like let's give this a shot you know yeah. and see what happens but once um, we got better <laughs> once the podcast became a thing it really um exploded so many more people listened and then they were like i can't believe people are still making these because even in the early mid-2000s there hadn't been this scripted podcast boom that you see today where there's like 500 new shows a year like literally 500 new shows a year <clears throat> And so mm-hmm. back then, we were one of only like three groups in the U.S. making them. And so people just sort of flocked to us and said, these are really cool. You, can we be part of this? Can we do help you with this? And so it just grew from there. We've got actors and directors all over the world.
4: And it was like in the beginning, there weren't a lot of people putting out podcasts and there were a lot of people trying to do it, but they weren't doing them with any kind of structure, you know, with any kind of release schedule. And so... We put together that organizational kind of system, and that got us more actors who were looking to add to their reels because people were getting frustrated because they were doing voice work for some shows and then they were never coming out. Or they released one episode a year, or they never released them. And so there were a lot of frustrated, highly talented people out there looking to just get work for their reels. So we ended up finding a lot of. Awesome people. A lot of those people we're still friends with. Mm-hmm. And some of them are professional voice actors now.
1: Nice. And how many shows do you currently have on your on Pendant audio? I know there's, uh-huh. I know of two uh, documentary style shows, but what are the other shows?
3: I think we're at 18, counting your two, I think. And all of those except for your two and one show that we have, just is just sort of a, uh, here's what's going on with the company this month. Show that we, so we do have for one our show fans.
4: like
3: that, yeah. But beyond that, all of the rest of them are scripted.
4: But probably only like three people listen to that one, so we just that's like... our running game.
3: <laughs> it is our lowest rated show by far, <laughs> but these sure. two, but you know,
1: it's and, and the, the scripted ones, how long is the average episode?
3: Uh, it varies by show, most of them are probably 20 to 30 minutes. Yeah. Uh, we have a couple that are uh short format, one of them comes in more like around 15. We did one very short format show where each episode was like 10 minutes or under. Uh, just quick little comedy bites
4: but we kind of settled on that over time because our directors are mostly volunteers that Mm -hmm. are doing this with their own lives and it's we tend to you know do 20 to 30 minutes for and we give them a month and that is about right for them to be able to do it and not hate us (laughs) (laughs) so Um, With all the sound effects and everything.
3: Right. I mean, it's done, you know, most of our stuff. We've done a few uh, professional paid projects, but most of our stuff is done community theater style. So it's all like volunteer efforts by the actors and the writers and the directors and the producers and everybody. Just because we want to make cool stuff together because, you know, we think it's uh, a fun thing to do. So,
1: um, yeah. Yeah. Nice. And is it all genres? Is it mostly sci-fi fantasy stuff? What's It's
4: mostly sci-fi
1: um but that or sci-fi happened. related
4: i don't think that was our intent it just kind of happened we've
3: got one that's kind of like a, a noir detective thing and one that leans more to fantasy type like superheroes and one that's sort of like this uh religious fantasy thing and uh, oh, so, yeah the
4: one uh old-timey spoof show
3: that was very sci-fi too though so oh, yeah i mean there's turn out a wide like genre uh a wide variety. sampling a variety of things that's the
1: sure. right yes. but
3: most of it falls under the genre umbrella
1: yeah Yeah. Well, I mean, I think when you're dealing with something, that's a volunteer thing, you're dealing with enthusiasts Mm -hmm. and what are, what are enthusiasts going to be enthusiastic about? And, uh, you know, there is a great deal of, as we're all sitting here because there is a great deal of enthusiasm in the sci-fi fantasy genre world. And we all, you know, pays my rent. (laughs) So, you know, (laughs) uh, it's, it's worth, uh, it's, it's definitely, it's definitely a great creative outlet. And, uh, you know, I'm sure that the freedom of it must have also been an attraction for you guys.
3: There's definitely an appeal there because um, we, we have this <clears throat> sort of feeling now where it's not a big deal. If a project gets passed on somewhere else, because we can always just make it ourselves. now if we want to, we can convert it to an audio drama script and get the thing produced and put it out. So yeah. um, it, it does give you this nice, sense of sort of liberty, I guess, where it's not like this project has to sell or I'll never it'll never see the light of day. Right. Like, well if that happens, we can just do whatever we want. So and it's like we you, have that infrastructure.
4: We already have so many things out there. It makes you a little less precious about things. And also being kind of producing we've also produced other people's writing too, not just mm-hmm. our own. It's given us a lot of um, you know experience working with different people who I mean even with weird talent you know skirmishes i mean we've had pretty much everything that could happen like we had a director fake his own death to um oh, wow. not finish directing one of our projects like <laughs> really everything happened like it's just- that's that's
1: that that is very impressive it great. seems like a wild
0: overreaction. It seems like there are much easier, simpler ways to, to
1: direct <laughs> something. I'm busy. My grandma died. Yeah. Uh, an email I
0: out.
1: have a friend, old friend visiting from out of town. There are there are definitely other ways to do that. Yeah. Wow. I did once the night before I was supposed to start shooting a feature film, the actress called me and told her, told me that Jesus uh had told her not to do the movie. Oh. And I am to this day very proud that without taking a beat, I said, "Put him on the phone." Let me. Well, let, me right. let me. Let me. Let me talk to him. And this was like three in the morning, and I had a six a.m. call. And she was like, "Jesus says not to do the movie." I'm like, "Can I? Let me talk to him." I'm sure we can work this out, like reasonable messiahs, man to man. that was that was that that film was a lot of laughs. Um, (laughs) and currently, by the way, that film is on, it got picked up by Troma. It's on YouTube and somehow Troma ended up with the pre sound mixed version. So it has no score. All of the gunfire are the pops that the prop guns made. (laughs) And I keep trying to get in touch with them to say, I'll, I'll give you the masters, man. I swear. Can you just take down this thing with no musical score? Because the musical score is actually the best thing in the movie. Uh, but um, I, I have no idea how they ended up with that master. But that's yet more yet more Hollywood goodness. That's also the movie where the we were talking about this the other day, where the uh, radiator tank of my car exploded in my face on the way to set one day, uh, and I had to do a sixteen-hour shoot day with second-degree burns and full of drugs. <laughs> <laughs> Which I recommend, but uh, so you've been you started out with stuff that you were scripting yourselves, and then other people were attracted to the. Mm -hmm. Yep, that's great.
3: Hey, we like what you're doing, can I pitch you some stuff? Or you know, we have um. We have an anthology show that has open submissions and a lot of people get their start with us that way because it takes just shorts like 15 pages max. Mm -hmm. And so they can kind of dip their toe into the format, learn writing for the medium, which is very different from writing for other mediums. And it does take a little bit of practice to get used to. Um, But then they find they really like it and, you know, they work well with us and they can take notes and they, you know, understand uh, the whole creative collaborative process because it's totally collaborative, just like comics is um then yeah uh, we've picked up uh, some shows and then for like directing
4: that. tilly personally trained a lot of our directors
3: who are all better than i am i'm i'm yeah. mediocre at it at best but i can tell you how to do it i just then they go places i never would have thought of so.
4: yeah we used to do more directing but yeah the people that you've trained have far surpassed what we can do yep. so we just leave it to them now
1: <laughs> in the in the no conventions uh People desperate for entertainment, COVID era. Have you seen any upt- uptick in your listenership, or is that not had any kind of effect?
3: Actually, it's had the opposite effect.
4: Um, yeah, really. No one's, no one's commuting. The loss
3: of the commutes has made um, downloads plummet yeah, well, for all podcasts across yeah. the board. So uh,
0: interesting. Yeah.
4: Probably like thirty percent drop. About, about well, that,
0: yeah. I I, I I guess there's this other thing that happened too, right? Where the audience is probably fractured pretty significantly because I mean the the cliche is everyone has a podcast now. I mean we're we're sitting here, right? Uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, I mean the the whole reason we we started this thing was because. We felt that we were missing something. We were missing the uh, bar con experience after a a comic convention. We wanted uh, to, you know, we had online cons that were giving us uh, uh, panels and stuff like that, but we didn't have this. We didn't have sitting around with other creative types, you know, just shooting the shit. Uh, And so we wanted a place to do that. And uh, we figured, hey, why not, uh, why not record it and, 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 you know, put it up. Um, But, you know, uh, I mean, everybody has their own podcast now. And I have to imagine, you know, when you guys when you guys kicked your way, you guys started doing this in 2004, you were kind of the only uh, game in town, right. Um, but but, oh, oh, you know, it, uh, over time, people see you and they're like, Oh, I want to do that. Um, and it builds out over time. But it seems like now that maybe the volume has been turned way up on that I, I have to imagine that that your, your competitors have uh, significantly increased just over the last year.
3: Well, yeah, I mean, like I said before, and it's an actual literal truth. I think last year there were over 450 new scripted podcasts debuting and that's just new ones, all the ones oh. that are still existing and still running are still going. So it's, it's more prolific even than, uh, the boom in television with streaming. There's mm-hmm. so many shows now it's really, really hard to find an audience. You have, and, and with podcasts, it always takes time. The audience that mm-hmm. needs a lot of time to find you, so you need to just keep putting stuff out on a regular release for as long as you can, as long as you can keep going to let them get to you.
4: Right.
1: Yeah. It takes a long time. Aaron, how how's your uh listenership been this year? I mean you specifically are a thing that's about comics and you know even tangentially or directly about conventions. Has that been an uptick or has it fallen off as well?
2: Um you know it's been sort of consistent. Um we haven't had we don't have a large audience to begin with, so, you know, <laughs> um, uh, proportionally, I, I think it's kind of funny because, um, you know, when it comes to um, sort of the statistics and uh, the, the common podcasting, it's kind of hard to see sometimes because I see a lot of uptick on our website. You know, we, 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 get, we get quite a, a lot of traffic, um, but I don't see it translate to subscriptions or to downloads sometimes because um, maybe they're listening to. Uh, to some other other uh, in other venues, I know that um, I know some people say not to put the audio on YouTube because that sort of splits, you know, the downloads and possible subscriptions from say, you know, if if they get it from from Apple Podcast or Google Pop- Podcast. So um, it it really just depends. But uh, but off and on, I don't think we've had we haven't had a substantial drop in 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 our in our in our in our in our, uh, in our numbers. But um, I. I just think that uh we we do enough to satisfy our 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 crowd which is sort of niche so uh, you know it's it's not really too much on on our part
3: i don't think putting um your episodes on youtube would really impact your downloads because at least in our experience we found that they're very different audiences the people who want it as a podcast to listen to are going to get it there they're never going to go to the youtube thing but the people who are getting it on youtube are probably not using a podcast program they're completely different separated, like segmented off audiences that don't really interact a lot. So I don't think it would impact. I think it's just reaching more people than your podcast. Yeah. It's at, is, is I mean, I that, think.
1: that feels like that, that feels like uh pulp today, you know, has only been a video podcast all year and it's on, I decided at the beginning, screw it. I'm not going to try and get the most numbers in one spot and it's on YouTube and the YouTube link gets retweeted, gets tweeted instagram tv and on facebook and it does a variety of numbers on a variety of platforms and i'm just convinced that there's people who watch instagram tv and there's people who watch youtube and there are people who look at your thing on on facebook and those are three completely divorced from one another sets of people and you know and i'm willing to look at the number and go well that you know Together, that was 700 people. Yes, it might have been only 50 people on YouTube, but it might have been 300 people on Instagram. You know, it's... And it and I got to say, it varies every...
2: Though though, though speaking from personal experience, I do notice that I'm viewing more on YouTube now than I did before, because as uh, I think Tilly said earlier, the the commutes have killed, you know, podcast uh, traffic. So, you know, I I don't listen. I I used to have an, an hour almost like an hour an hour and a half commute in the morning sometimes and i would listen to a lot of podcasts in the morning um now i'm i'm working at home and, and I'm, I'm listening and watching uh you know pulp today on on youtube um uh rather than you know listening through my 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 smartphone you know just just listening to the audio sure. so i think there is you know if you can multiply me times you know thousand fold or a hundred thousand fold I think there is sort of a shift in the viewing habits, but now now that the pandemic is sort of slowing down and we're started going back to whatever normal is, I think I think we'll we'll start to see reversal of, of that that traffic uh, to sure. sort of going audio only I, There's I do, other, go, go ahead. Go ahead i I do How think that?
1: that YouTube numbers might be going up a little bit also because I noticed I personally watch YouTube a lot more because it's now integrated with my Roku television system. So whereas I might watch a random video that someone tweeted at me or whatever over a period of a day, now sometimes when I'm killing time on my television, I go to YouTube and watch 20 things over the course of a couple of hours that I never would have bothered to click around on my, you know, on my laptop or on yeah, my, desktop. I mean, I,
2: I never thought I'd be watching otters from Japan on YouTube. So
1: you know. <laughs> yeah, t- that is the kind of stuff that's definitely, it's like, well, I could watch the, you know, I could watch the trailer for next week's uh, episode of WandaVision, but here's a, here's a, a bat eating a carrot for five minutes. <laughs> you know, Incredible. I, I may there, watch that.
0: <laughs> there is this other wrinkle to the, the YouTube thing also. And I, I, I think that I have to kind of, um, I mean, it depends on what category you're in. If you're if you're a YouTube mega show, then you want your channel and you 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 know you want your subscribers and you want one place for them to find you there. Um, when you are a a kind of smaller show like ours, um, you know, r- right now uh, on YouTube we're we're on the the Comic Core uh, um, uh, YouTube channel, and you know, Comic Core has like a a small group of very loyal subscribers, and so we come up. You know, I mean, there are people from without who come and watch it on YouTube also. But I think that for the most part, like like, you know, Tilly said, those people are finding it on on uh, now on iTunes and and Spotify and specifically iTunes. But um, but I know that. You know there there are people who subscribe to to Comic Core, and when it comes up, they're they're like, oh yeah, this is cool. Let's let's watch this, and so we get their subscribers. But we have appeared on a number of different channels. You know, so uh, we were on the Mainframe Comic Con uh, 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 channel, um, uh, the the Baltimore Comic Con channel for for a uh, for, for a spell, and each of those uh, channels has has their own very loyal subscriber set, um, and so it is possible to kind of um, uh, syndicate uh, uh, a show like ours on YouTube, you know, just find, uh, you know, find these, these pockets of comic fans that, um, you know, the, uh, the lost in comics uh, fans do not subscribe necessarily to comic core and vice versa. And so if we were on both uh, comic core and lost in comics, then we are doubling our audience on YouTube. Um, uh, And that's, you know, that's interesting. I'm still trying to kind of wrap my mind around that and how it affects everything. Um, but I'm confident that that is not, I'm confident that if we hopped on the lost in comics, uh, uh, YouTube, uh, uh, channel tomorrow, that it would not affect, uh, our downloads on, on iTunes, uh, significantly. And it would not, uh, it would not affect, uh, the views, uh, that we're getting on the comic core channel, uh, terribly. And so, um, so, you know, I have half a mind to go out and, uh, and, and do a little, uh, you know, syndication dance <laughs> on this motherfucker. So.
2: Yeah, I mean, uh, David touched on something that I think is important, the uh, democratization of of what we're doing, you know, how, how it relates to how old school radio was versus the ability for the average person to just start a podcast whenever they want. Um, I think that's important because, like I said before, people have their own stories to tell or they want to share other people's stories and to have that ability, um, the, the technology now to just do it on a whim and to just experiment, I think is important. Um, even more so, I have a friend, um, Susie Potello, She's the founder of the International Mobile Film Festival, uh, which I'm a uh, brand ambassador for. Um, smartphones now, um, you have directors, you know, making, you no know, well-known directors making movies, feature films uh, on smartphones. And everybody around the world has a smartphone. So that means, you know, almost anybody has the ability or access to, to make a movie on their smartphone now. So that's, I think that's an important step and uh, the not democratization of, of that medium. So no, absolutely.
1: I mean that your smartphone is a video camera that is like I spent the 90s making films on whatever was the most accessible technology humanly possible. And like the degree to which your $400 iPhone beats the million dollar post-production <laughs> facility uh, that didn't have HD in the 90s uh, is pretty wild. And, you know, I, 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 I think about the people I knew at the time who spent $50,000, $35,000 on a video camera that is now, it might as well be hand-cranked. Like, it's, it, it is it <laughs> it is less than... And I even get offended. It's a, it's a every, once like, every once in a while, I want to, like... Every once in a while, I want to, like, transfer some old material of mine, and I, I price out, like, the the best, you know mini DV camera from 1999. Like what is that going for nowadays? And I'll see them on, on eBay for like $5,000. I'm like, are you insane? <laughs> like this is, this is a Walkman now. This is, I'm sorry you spent so much money for it, but buddy, you're never getting that money back. It's gone. Um, but that, I wanted to get back to something with, with what Ryland was saying about um, syndication what are the challenges of marketing this stuff, and how do you do it? How do you expand the audience or something? I noticed that, particularly iTunes. We talked about this a little bit in setting up both of our podcasts on there. Uh, it's such a closed ecosystem. Like you, oh, the yeah. fact that you can't you can't have a link to something on the internet in your YouTube description, your iTunes description of your show. That's such a novel thing. Like when you told me that, I was like, "Well, of course. I've never seen a link on iTunes in my life, so obviously that's true." But you go, "That's so antithetical to how the rest of the web works." You know, it's yeah, so. Well, they want you off.
3: to leave Apple. They want you to stay right there the whole time. So yeah, yeah. You can put the links in there, but and and for those folks out there who see them, you can. Just have to copy and paste them, which is very antiquated, but that's the only way that uh, Apple wants you to be able to do it. And
4: they know hardly anyone's going to do it, so. Sure.
3: (laughs) Yeah. And they don't have to care because um, I don't know if if, uh, Aaron has these kind of stats or if you know how how your show goes, but for all of ours, for all of history, 95% plus of our audience comes from iTunes, Apple Podcasts, and they never go to the website, our website. They never go to our social media feeds. They just get the shows there and that's it. So I mean it's um I don't know it's they 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 own everything it's just they were the yeah. first ones you know they invented the podcast and put it out there and they just uh, have a stranglehold on the industry
1: Yeah. No and that I mean I noticed that myself I mean the, the reason that I embed Pulp today on Facebook is Facebook is the same way. Facebook does. Sure. You can put a link in a Facebook thing, but that means they're going to hide. The algorithm will absolutely hide it. I did a Mm -hmm. test once when I was doing a Kickstarter where I said, I was like in the middle of a kick month long Kickstarter. And I said, this is a test post. How many of you have seen the thing I've been talking about lately that I'm not going to name and please do not name it in the comments. And it was a, it was a comics Kickstarter and my friends and colleagues who were comics people had seen it. My friends who were not comics people had not seen it hmm. because it was not in what Facebook considered one of their main interests. Uh, and the way we have to constantly try to defeat that algorithm and get like, you know, if we all, we all adopted Facebook a decade ago as like, Hey, this is free advertising. This is a great, and it is now less than worthless for advertising, for getting eyes on anything off of Facebook. If you want people to see it, yeah, like, you know, when we post about um, this show, I don't want to embed an hour long show on Facebook because one, that would take an hour, and two, it would fail. <laughs> like it would, half of the time the upload would would time out but we have to hide the link to the episode in the second or third comment on the thread, because again, otherwise no one will, no one will see it Uh, because they just do not want you leaving their ecosystem, which is of course the web is all about leaving one ecosystem for another ecosystem and the ease of communication and jumping all over the world. Uh, And they've just made it incredibly. So what do you do to, how do you get ears on something, you know, especially something that's only on iTunes uh, without that, you know, with all of those handicaps built in. Anyone? <laughs> Anyone? <laughs> Anyone?
2: <laughs> that's like, a very good question. We knew, a, lot, we a lot
1: of
0: head shaking. <laughs> I, just, yeah. it
4: is, I mean, and part of the issue is because we started so early that everything kind of, the popularity built right in a completely uncontrolled way. So, like, right it just happened to be now iTunes is the main place but people don't go to the website right. or right. if they do we don't know about it i guess so and, we can
3: see how many people go to the site and it just it's such a small fraction of the number of episode downloads we get and we can see that most of the traffic is coming from apple podcasts or iTunes and so and a
4: lot of people don't follow our social media either right. yet we have hundreds of thousands of downloads and we have no idea how that's happening <laughs>
1: So, or like
4: the so yours world. is so yours
1: has been mostly the snowball rolling downhill
4: yeah basically
1: you haven't you haven't had to or tried to well, advertise it in other
3: we try places. to but i mean like we don't have an advertising budget so we that's sure. kind of out of the question so we've tried you know like uh we well, get we a little bit of traction on, on reddit places. um there we used to uh, there used to be other places that have kind of evaporated now like there were forums and other things that you know in in their day back, back in the day. back in the day that we might have posted on but it's just I don't know I mean uh, we shouldn't be talking we should ask Aaron maybe he knows because we don't know
4: I don't
2: know
4: Facebook, either it goes on Twitter it goes on reddit and, and we it. do this all the time but yeah. it doesn't mean anything
1: <laughs> yeah right
2: you know it's 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 from my experience it's been sort of hit and miss um you know I'll I have my routine. I'll, I'll post to um, to Facebook, and I'll, I'll go into different comic book groups and, and pop culture groups and Comic Con groups, and I'll share it there. You uh, I even started doing it on LinkedIn now. Um, you know, I still got my Twitter and Twitter following on on different uh, accounts. So, you know, I think it just depends on. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm sure if you if you break it down, you can you you can actually break it down by time of day, depending on on what you know. Uh, what, what your 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 podcast is about i think um even even on which day um you know I, i've heard other podcasters and other influencers talk about you know even just getting to the nuts and bolts of, of, of that so and if you really want to get dive into it i'm sure there's that level that granular level that mm-hmm. you can get get, get yeah. to um but as for me um you know i'm still i'm still trying to make i'm, st- I'm still trying to you know live life and, and make my make ends meet so right. you know yeah. i i don't even have a to be honest with you, I don't, I don't even have a, a consistent podcasting schedule just because, you know, when a, when a freelance project comes in, I, I got to take that job, you know. <laughs> so, you know, balancing that and, and also, you know, the podcasting part, while I love talking to all these creators and, and you know, it's part of our mission to share their stories and, and their Kickstarter campaigns when we can, um, you know, I, I still got to, you know, make, uh, put, put food on the table, you know, so um, – that's the next step when it comes to our podcast is just to get to that consistent point where we can start growing again, because we had a good run where we were doing, you know, almost a podcast every week or every two weeks. And we had a consistency going. I think that's part of it is being consistent. You know, and yeah. without that consistency, you, you won't, you won't have a chance to to grow, to grow. Uh, yeah.
1: Yeah. No, I'm. No, go ahead. Tilly.
3: Well, that's definitely something that we've noticed even starting way back when, I mean, Susan touched on it a little earlier, but it's, especially doubly important now because there are so many podcasts and so many shows that if we've found that if the audience doesn't know when the next episode is coming they will forget about you and forget to come back and check so i because think they've
4: got 20 other podcasts they can or 30 check out or 40 or 200 i and... mean
3: there are people that are like i've got 500 podcasts on my things that yeah, i have to catch up it's on it's really easy so because... um and i what we found is that the schedule itself doesn't really matter as long as it's consistent. So if you mm-hmm. want to go weekly, as long as you're weekly on that same day, every week, then it's fine. Like most of our shows are monthly and people know though, on the first Wednesday of this month, they're going to get a new Kingery episode and it's always there that first Wednesday of every month yep. so that they have it. Um, and then they, I mean, that's
4: still our most popular show and it's been going for like forever.
3: It's on season 11 now. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, there's there's a trust issue i think they want to trust that they're not going to get invested in something only to have it drop off and disappear and so especially when there's so much out there now so much that they can just go find something else like so easily that um they want to trust that you're going to respect their time and their listenership and give them some the same thing when they can expect it so um we have one show our anthology show that i mentioned is only once every two months um, Because of the open submission process, it takes a lot longer to produce, but it still is fine. Even though it's only one episode every two months, people know on the last Wednesday, every other month, you're going to get a new episode of this show. And it's always there. So um, it, the consistency helps a lot.
1: Well, yeah, that's. I-, I can't say that it was 100% planned. But one of the reasons I didn't dive into the iTunes podcast universe until next week, basically, until right now, is i knew that consistency would be hard to maintain so i literally when the show premieres this will be in the past when people are hearing this podcast but march 1st i have 40 episodes in the can i can go almost a year (laughs) you know without necessarily producing a new and i just i recorded one yesterday uh as a video and put it up that won't show up in itunes until October, probably. Uh, yeah. But there's nothing big. Bec- it goes to the, to the fact that they're two completely different audiences, and I'm sort of counting on that. The people that listen on iTunes, on YouTube, Facebook, whatever, they're getting the episodes every couple of weeks, and they're fine with that, and whatever. The iTunes audience is going to get a new episode every week for the next, you know, 35 weeks at least. And I have a good feeling that in the next 35 weeks, I'll be able to record another 10, 20 episodes uh, without dropping out of it. Um, right.
3: That's Well, that's something we do with our scripted shows too. I mean, we can't get 30 episodes ahead, but any episode that's releasing, we're already like usually two or three episodes past that are already complete and ready to go. Um, Just
4: in we, case something right, happens. Because directors
3: yeah. or actors get sick, writers get sick, whatever. Life happens and gets in the way and that's fine. You know these things happen, but we want to account for the, that. Sure. Those things can happen, and we can still hit those release dates so that the audience can trust that it's going to be there. And then we'll make up the time on the next episode. You know, in in production. So ideally, yeah, we found that helps <laughs> a lot.
1: I mean, and you know, I, my wife used to produce burlesque shows, and she was a, a big believer in. You know, you can do everything you want to advertise any individual show, but it's better if people know that it's every Friday. Every, every second Thursday of the month, the show is in this place. So if they don't see a flyer, if they don't hear it ad somewhere, they, they in their mind, whenever, whenever a club wanted to move the night or something, she always pushed back very, very hard on that because she's like, no, they will, this will make them stop coming. Thursday worked for the people that came last Thursday, second Thursday of the month, that night worked for them. Yeah, Mm -hmm. They might not be a Saturday might not be the day their babysitter is available. And now you've tossed an audience member in the garbage, basically Mm -hmm. that was committed to doing this thing once a month. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, it's not everything, but it's certainly, uh, it certainly helps. Uh,
3: There's A a corollary with that too, with um, the actual uh, location of your podcast feed, it's URL on the web. We had one show that, uh, for complicated reasons that I won't go into now, but we had to move the podcast feed to a different location. And we told the audience this was coming. We put a, a thing in the actual podcast feed, a little audio clip saying, hey, this is where the new feed is gonna be. You, you're gonna have to go over there and resubscribe to this new one because it's moving. We lost half the audience and they never came back. They just wow. never came back. So uh, now we, once we put a podcast feed up, we don't touch it. It doesn't move, it will stay there forever because otherwise you will just lose Everything you worked for all this time. You have to keep it in that spot. I mean, there are like forwarding now. There's um you can put like a, a URL code that will forward right a XML file to the new XML file, but even that doesn't always work with every podcatcher. And so it's um it's just it's too risky. You spend years trying to build up this audience, you know, you don't wanna lose it for something like that. So
1: yeah. Yeah. Aaron, has it, has it gotten easier to attract guests to your show as time goes on? Have you,
2: it has, um, I mean, you know, you build these connections at, at comic cons and, um, on, on, and online, you know, I, I, my vetting process is is pretty much, okay. Who does this person know? Let me see. Okay. I I know that person. Okay. I think this person might be a, a great person to have on, on the podcast. So, um, you know, it's usually six degrees of separation sometimes and, um, especially nowadays with a lot of, you know, gatekeeping going on, I'll say. Um, you got to be careful of who you, ha- who, who you invite onto your podcast. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, so, uh, and I've been fortunate to have, you know, some some great guests, you know, like Ryland. Ryland will turn me on to, you know, Steve Prince and uh, Colin Nappy, you know. So, all these awesome creators that I've gotten a chance to meet just because I met one person or a couple of people who know right. a bunch of other people. So I love that. I love that aspect of, of podcasting and getting to know the, you know, communities, you know, even though uh, our podcast schedule is inconsistent, I'm still consistent about uh, building bridges online and uh, sharing and signal boosting other people's projects, even other people's podcasts. I don't mind sharing other people's podcasts just because you know, so it's, it's uh, you know, an awesome community to be part of. And, you know, Um, you know, it's all about helping other people. I think the way you I think one of the best ways you can improve yourself is by helping other people. So and people usually return that tenfold. So I'm I'm happy to do it. Um yeah, I mean absolutely it's it's
1: never the world is full of people who who view things as zero sum game, and that is uh antithetical to the building of community or the making of art. Mm -hmm. Uh I help you, you help me. And, you know, and it, I think it's also really important, you never offer anything in the spirit of quid pro quo. You hope for the best, you expect the worst, and you you, you deal with the fallout. But the the kindness in and of itself is the, the the, the doing of the good deed is its own bonus, basically. And if people reflect that back at you, great. If they don't reflect that back at you, you can kind of like make a mental note. This is not someone who, you know, is interested in paying their debts fine (laughs) you know like doesn't 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 mean you have to be mad at them some people are just put together differently um
0: streets yeah yeah this is a good point you know i always talk about uh i talk about this ecosystem that we've all built right in the comics community um and you know it's something that i mean aaron and i have talked about a lot where it's like i mean we need each other you know creators like like me we need you know people like aaron uh uh uh, to go and promote our work and sing our praises and shout from the rooftops. And Aaron has this great show, but the show doesn't exist next week unless, you know, he gets somebody like me to come on and and, and talk about the book. And, um, you know, we cannot exist without each other. We, we saw it with this very show. Uh, Avalonia and I were putting this show together. And and how the hell do we get it to people? Uh, uh, right. And, you know, thankfully, uh, you know, Tilly and Susan are, are, are experts at that. Um, they run this uh, this this Pod, you know this podcast like juggernaut, and they have these people who are listening who need new shows to listen to who are interested in comic books, and so it was this kind of happy marriage. You know, uh, uh, we had content, and they are content providers. Um, it was, uh, it, it was this this synergy, um, it, and I think that's interesting. You know, when and, and um, you know with Aaron, um, I mean, you know, I have done a lot of comic podcasts. I mean, dozens, hundreds, probably. Um, and they are not all created equal. <laughs> I, I'm not going to name names, but I've been on some 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 pretty rickety ships, right? Um, and I would never, in a million years, go to my friends and say, "Hey, you have to do this podcast." Right? I love that rickety
4: uh, ship. I've been thinking about that for a while.
1: You're just going to steal that one? I like or that or one. Over sometimes here. I yeah. find those. Some of those are the most intensely charming, though. I got to like. Sometimes it's the podcast with the 20 people that's like. Built on something crazy specific, a, a crazy specific fandom. Like sometimes I love those the most because yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. I don't mind if you have five listeners. I mean, that, that's yeah. not. I, I'm not. A, I'm not a snob with any of this stuff because you know. Uh, again, those are those are five really enthusiastic listeners who are gonna who are gonna show up for you. I've seen it time and time again. Uh, I, I I don't care about listener numbers, anything like that. But it's a matter of coming on and is this person professional? Is this per- person? Uh, uh, um, You know i I, again you have to be careful you know i mean you're you're offering your name to this uh going on a podcast is is the equivalent of of an endorsement um and uh and then certainly you know i mean if you went on and you were subjected to something awful i'm not going to subject my friends to that (laughs) um but uh but 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 i also have this sense and i've talked about this on the show before and and aloni's talked about it where if a door opens for me the first thing i try and do is jam 12 of my friends through it before it closes right um, and, uh, and, I, you know, I went on Aaron's show and it was great. Um, and, uh, and, uh, he made, you know, clear that the door was open. And so, um, I, I send as many people there as I can, uh, because I know it's good for him and it's good for them. Um, and, uh, you know, to, to another one of Aaron's points, I mean, it was, um, I, I was attracted to Aaron's enterprise. I wanted to go on Aaron's show because I saw him at cons. You know, I mean, I, I, one of the things I do is I, I run, uh, I, I put together panels. I run panels, uh, uh, at, at a lot of cons, um, and every panel that I was running, I would see Aaron there, uh, and I would see Aaron. Aaron knew all of the creators, um, and all of the creators loved him. And I think it was finally David Pepos who I, who I pulled aside and I said, "Hey, who's that guy?" And he's like, "Oh, that, that's Aaron the boost from, from Hall H. You got to meet him." Um, and it was that sort of endorsement, and 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 when I when I sort of uh, you know name checked uh, Aaron all around, everybody had you know incredible things to to, to say about him. Um, his his reputation sort of you know preceded him, um, and um, and again I saw him on the ground working. You know I, I saw that he was an active, uh, positive member of this ecosystem we've put together, and uh, and so it was a no brainer. And it was the same thing with, with with Tilly and Susan, where it was like we had um uh, we had a lot of mutual friends. Um, and in fact, uh, we shared a publisher. Um, uh, I think we were, you know, I think our books were being promoted by Action Lab at the same time at San Diego Comic-Con, but we never bumped into each other. Um, but, uh, but you know, and, and, and we had kind of been in the same room a few times uh, online, I think. And, but, um, but we didn't know each other, but we knew each other uh, because we had so many mutual friends and because uh, because th- those mutual friends thankfully had good things to say about us, otherwise, like this never would have happened. You know what I'm saying? And so, so what? Like she-
4: mini Hollywood. It's like yeah. Yeah. even smaller than Hollywood mm-hmm. is. Yeah. So, yeah. Your reputation is everything.
1: Yeah, yeah I, always say, I always say comics is like Hollywood, if there were literally only two movie studios and a bunch of individuals. <laughs> yeah. Like, and we're going that way. I mean, it's essentially it's getting to it's just Warner and Disney now. Like it's and ironically, it's the same too. It's Disney is Marvel and Warner is DC. Uh, I know that's an oversimplification, but it and the smaller the community, the more it in, the more important it is to be excellent to your word. And to be a positive part of it, and we've talked about this a lot. You know, I've given a couple of things about networking at at cons, and I always talk about how, you know, you don't approach people with dollar signs in their your eyes. You approach people to make friends, and if they're, you know, I I met, I think I met Tilly and Susan through the Dillons, I believe on the on the Saturday morning. uh, You 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 you
0: met met the Bridges through the Dillons. yes (laughs)
1: yes <laughs> clan bridges and clan Dillons. and uh you know the Dillons are excellent people who are are excellent to their word and are 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 big cheerleaders in the community uh and and you know their reputation kind of uh you know attaches to you by default and then you turn out to be excellent people and it's uh when we started chatting on saturday mornings i hadn't a thought in the world that we would ever be entangled in any anything what? even remotely business oriented <laughs> like it's not a you know you know it's it that wasn't the that wasn't what i found interesting about you is that you, i didn't i don't think i knew you were podcast producers when we started talking but when we put the word out hey we need help you know getting our podcasts on you you two stepped up, and that's that's really more what it is. It's stepping up when the time is right instead of what can you do for me today? We just met.
2: Yeah. I mean, before I forget – I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Go okay. Ahead. Go, uh, before I forget, um, you know, Riley touched on something, um, you know, and, and this is a tip that I often, you know, hand to, to aspiring podcasters when they're trying to find guests is, uh, you know, you don't ask – somebody to marry you on the first date right so (laughs) you sort of have to get to know them and you know just like what rylan said that was that was by design i went to his panels first to to sort of get to know him and and i guess he's he was getting to know me too so you know once we started a dialogue and got to know each other online and i started then i eventually went for my ask and and asked him to be on the podcast so you know that that's is the same thing that happens with a lot of my guests, right. and I, I think I, I, I don't think I answered David's question yet um, uh, about how how if it gotten if, if it's gotten easier for me to, to to find guests for the podcast, and the answer is yes, uh, even more so now that uh, the pandemic is going on because, sure. as as all of you know, there's a lot of pod, uh, Kickstarter campaigns going on right now, and by virtue of me being active on social media, and posting you know all these you know. Uh, our, our, not only our podcast episodes, but sharing other people's projects. You know, I've I've gotten a lot of people who want to be on the show just because they have a project they want they want to promote. So, mm-hmm. you know,
1: yeah. Well, and that's you know the other thing that you the thing you said about you know don't ask someone to marry you before the first date. You do definitely, and this is across all 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 areas of networking and all areas of working with people on creative projects is. When someone approaches you and it's very clear, they know that you're someone who can help them, but they don't know the first thing about you. Mm -hmm. They haven't Googled you. They don't know what you've written. I mean.
4: They send the same form letter out to you that they send to 1,400 (laughs) other people.
1: (laughs) And, you know, like we love, you know, we love having people on this thing to talk about their Kickstarters and promote their Kickstarters. But when it's I have a Kickstarter promote and I want to go on the show, that's a different, you know, it's one thing when that's someone who knows us really well and all that. But this isn't the weekly Kickstarter promotion show. This yeah. is a conversation we're having where we're happy to promote your Kickstarter, right. if that's the case. But it is it is that thing of, uh, you know, we want people who have actually watched or listened to the show once or twice. Yeah. And it's just a simple act of respect. You get people pitching. It's like pitching yourself to a showrunner of a TV show without ever having watched their show. Yeah. You know, it it becomes very obvious that you haven't watched the show and you don't know what the show is, you know, uh,
3: one of the things, um, the reason Susan and I, uh, offered you know to to help uh, make your show into an actual podcast and get it out there is uh, one of the things we discovered as an ancillary benefit because like we said we started with it was just our writing we wanted to get our work out there and just produce some things we got so much joy out of helping other people tell their stories and help get their stories to an audience because they had no other way to do it And we're like well we believe in this project we believe in you we believe in your writing and we can help that find people who will love it and that Mm -hmm was just an amazing feeling. And yeah. for a long time, we had uh, wanted to have some kind of a uh, podcast of, about writing and we just never had the time uh, to get it going. And we and got we close did, a couple yeah, of times. we tried it, a couple of times. It didn't quite it work, didn't work out. out.
4: And, then,
3: and then here's... We're
4: here's, like, oh, here's one. These two great let's people <laughs> making a great
3: show. That's exactly what we were going to do. Well, they need the help. Let's help them get it out there.
1: You know, it's it's arguable what order you would put them in. But like one of the greatest things in the world is getting a job one of the other greatest things in the world is giving a job. And I would actually say the second one has a slight edge in that it's not complicated in the same way. Getting a job can come with compromises you're not happy about or a salary you don't like or whatever, but giving a job, that's like, you're done. You did it and (laughs) you can walk away from the situation. You know, opening a door for someone is a lot easier than walking through a door Uh, and and it's, and it's the and in so many ways it's the easiest thing in the world. And it's uh I I feel bad for the people who do not who cannot process that joy of being happy for another person. And I've known people who were so tied up in the idea of professional jealousy that they can't even accept that other people aren't professionally jealous. There's a whole world of Hollywood that's like it's not enough to succeed, your friends must also fail. And I've just never, that is never, especially no one is me. No one is you. No one has what you have to offer. If someone gets a job that you think you would have been better at, that's fine. But you, you don't know how that would have come out. Uh, I I've known uh, an actor named Craig Bierko a little bit over the years, and he sort of famously turned down the part of Chandler on friends to do the Ellen sitcom that I think lasted a year, uh, the first one. And, you know, he gets asked that question a lot about, you know, oh my God, you turned down Chandler on Friends. He's like, Friends with me as Chandler is not necessarily a success that runs 20 years. Like we you don't, you can't necessarily just swap that out and say, that should have been me because then it would have been fantastic. And I would have made those millions of dollars that Matt Perry made which he then turned into a drug addiction is like, Oh, so that would have been good for me being the drug addict. Like, you know, like you, you just can't think like that. You have to deal with the heart. You are dealt cards. You play them as best you can and you can't spend a lot of your time and energy going. I should have directed that movie. I should have been in that movie. It's, it's a fantasy because that's not, that's not how the world happened to turn out. So it's yeah. all about, you know, playing the card, the hands you're dealt and doing the best with it and doing the best for others. And it's never, I have never had that thing of like, Oh, my buddy got a great job. I should have gotten that job. It's like, no, mm-hmm. it's fantastic. Everybody gets a great job. <laughs>
4: <laughs> well, I think uh, a big part of the networking thing that people fail to realize is it's not about meeting Famous people, it's about meeting the right people at the right time for you. Like, I mean, for example, like we recently got repped, and I'm actually really happy about that because the person we found is the right person. Right. Like, and if we had found someone before this, it probably wouldn't have. I mean, we had
3: times before where we almost signed with somebody in a couple of different spots, or we're in talks with them, and it never felt like it feels with our present actual manager yeah. He's just gets us in a way that other people didn't so it's not yeah, it's.
4: but it's like that whole suspicion about people is real i mean we yeah. even had meetings with people in the past sometimes high up people and when they find found out we were doing these podcast things and putting this material out for free like there was a deep suspicion about it like why would you do that right you're not being paid for this and it's like okay you don't get it you don't get it right. not the kind of person that gets it
1: and any creative person will understand doing a creative thing for the joy of doing the creative thing.
4: Right, and and so like, and we've recently met with a showrunner, and he thinks it's awesome, and he's like, yep. "I get it, I understand why you do this. Like, I understand you, and and that's what it's about. It's finding those people who understand you and understand your work. And uh, and our manager says we're finding your fans, like, so yeah. that's that's all and part."
1: And it's, it's all completely unpredictable. 20, yeah. years, 20 years ago, I met two people at the same time. One of them, writer and perform both writer performers. One of them, we made a whole bunch of short films together. Uh, she had me direct a whole bunch of her stuff. The other one, I had sort of a distant acquaintanceship with, but we never worked together. I didn't think she particularly liked me, disliked me, whatever. <laughs> Um, the first person, when they got an opportunity to make a feature, took on a different partner, left me behind. And again, fine choice she made, and that's, but it surprised me.
0: And then the she faked her I, own the,
1: the Yeah. <laughs> and then I, changed. and the, the second person who I thought I had just sort of a, maybe even a, a remotely prickly relationship with, became a big name showrunner. And now employs me regularly as a development person and writer. If you had told me these are these two people, one of them is going to be a key to giant future success for you, and the other one you're going to drift apart from, I would have guessed 100% wrong, and you wouldn't have been able to convince me. Like, no, 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 it's actually the one you think doesn't like you very much. That one will be a big champion of your writing in the future. The other one will sort of drop out of your life and you'll, you know, and forget you exist. And to me, that's a great object lesson. I was, funny enough, a project that involved both of these people, me and another, me and a, I shouldn't say another, me and a stand-up comic were waiting on the lunch line at this shoot. And there was a young woman in front of us, actress, and we introduced ourselves, said, hello, whatever. And she said I'm so excited tomorrow I have the most important audition of my life and me and the other guy who are old grizzled veterans like just laughed out loud and we weren't trying to humiliate, we just like we went no it's it's only the most important audition of your life if you get it if you don't get it it was entirely unimportant and it didn't matter and you can forget it and get on with your life and not be hurt by it you never know what the most important audition in your life is. Even if it's, I, I'm auditioning tomorrow to be in a Star War. That might be a dead end for you. You know, yeah, Kurt Russell auditioned to be Han Solo and he didn't get it. He's fine, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like that's, that's just the way it goes sometimes, you know. And again, Kurt Russell would have been probably pretty great in Star Wars. Uh, but a lot of the guys who auditioned for that part wouldn't have been. And then again, it's not I could have been in Star Wars and it I could have been a millionaire. It's Star Wars could have been a flop with me in it. <laughs> you know Like you just you never know. and it's why you always have to be, you have to have a lively, open-hearted attitude towards the vicissitudes of fate. Otherwise you will just absolutely get crushed and you'll be that girl online going, I screwed up the most important audition of my life. No, you really didn't I swear to you. You didn't. It's going to be fine. You know? And anyway, on that, uh, on that particular note, there's one more thing I wanted to talk about Visa a vis podcasts. And there's a little more for Tilly and Susan. I've started seeing more often, uh, shows based on podcasts now and is that part of the arsenal that you're bringing into this new relationship with a manager is are there people looking you know did those podcasts become tv shows because people are now listening to podcasts looking to make them into tv shows or was it because julia roberts listened to that podcast and walked it into a studio gate
3: i think it's mostly the latter um
4: i think Yeah, Yeah. Hollywood's been saying now podcasts of a thing people are listening to. No, they were always listening to it. You just decided to say now they're listening to it to to hype it. Like, I feel like that's what they're doing. But there are companies out there accepting pitches for shows with the intent of making a podcast and then optioning it and trying to shop it. But, I mean, our manager talked about how maybe – we'd go back to that catalog at some point, but right now he has plenty to work with. So mm-hmm.
3: well, he reps us as writers, not the, not the podcast company. You know, right. the, so and his, he,
4: he only knows the TV space. So mostly. he right. wants us to get into television. Right. That's where, well, I mean, that's where we want to go is. anyway. But
1: I was yeah. thinking more like are any of the podcasts that you've written now, things that you're trying to develop in the TV space with the help of the pre-existence as a podcast. No, not yet. Okay,
3: we've got so many other things that are going on. Um, we're content with the for the podcast to be podcasts and audio dramas. And I mean, if and that's great. If someone listened to them and said, "Hey, I think there's a lot of potential here. I'd like to option this. Let's see if we can turn this into a show." We'd be like, "Sure, that sounds great," but that's not our intent with those. Those are just they're the intent with them is they're just their own thing. They're they're audio dramas. They're scripted podcasts, and that's what they are.
4: And we we tend to come up with a lot of new stuff all the time, so. That's why it keeps,
3: we're never short on ideas. So again, it makes us not precious about it. This isn't our one project that we want to do everything with. We've got 30, 40 others just waiting to be made. So that,
1: that does, that, that does tend to be one of the, it's sort of one of the marks of an amateur, uh, and of someone who's going to get stalled very easily in this business. Either any of the businesses we're talking about is that I have this one idea. And you better not steal it. And I sent it to myself in an envelope with a postmark, and I <laughs> WGA registered it. And it's like, no, anyone who's ever pitched anything, it's like you got to have the next thing. You got to have the next eight things. And if you're any kind of creator, you you've you've got, you know, this is this is an, an an old horse. I beat too much, but like I, it always struck me that Quentin Tarantino, at the moment when he could have done anything. When he had the world at his feet after Pulp Fiction, which he co-wrote, he decided to adapt an Elmore Leonard novel. And I just went, that's not a writer. A writer has stories to tell beyond, I could do anything. I could do the project of my dreams. And the project of my dreams is his 20 year old Elmore Leonard novel, I guess. And it's a fine movie. It's not
4: a great novel, oh, no. though. I love that It's novel. a great novel, yeah. and
1: it's a, fine, it's a fine movie. Incredible but me, novel and an incredible movie. But yeah. that's not... It's actually probably my favorite of all of his movies, actually.
4: Yeah.
2: Because yeah.
1: yeah. it's... Uh, so ironically, it's the least derivative. <laughs> and it's based on someone else's novel, but it's still the least cinematically derivative thing you made. But my point is that's... I don't think you're a storyteller when that's the choice you make. When you could do anything and that's uh, i I, there's this book i love um actually
3: that's a good point because there's like i'm i'm a huge elmore leonard fangirl and there's a couple of his books that have never been adapted and one of them i would particularly love a shot at adapting someday but if we somehow got to the point where people were like we will make whatever you want to make what's your next thing It that's not on the list yeah Ten things first and then I'll get to that down twenty years down the road. But and,
1: and, and I and again I I get that from a director. Sure. Yeah, but sure. from a writer, yeah. a creator of things, you'd rather do this other guy's universe than create your own universe. I, I just I just don't I don't see it. Uh given the given the power to bring anything to life, you know, there there are so many things to bring to life. And uh there's a thing that uh The thing that I remember, I think it was Howard Chaykin said once uh, that I've always remembered because he got brought out to Hollywood uh, from the comic book world. And I remember he, if I'm remembering the story right, he asked the producer, why me? Why are you like, Hollywood's full of writers. Why are you plucking me out of comic books? He said, because the schedules you guys work under, you are story maniacs. You have to create a new plot beginning, middle and end every two weeks or you're screwed. Like you, you, like you can't just fall back on one of the other eight guys in the room. And at the time it was definitely eight guys in the room. Uh, you just have to keep cranking out story, 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 story. And I think there was a period last uh, 2019 where for various scheduling reasons, I had to write 10 comic book scripts in maybe 11 or 12 weeks. And it was brutal, but it made me a much better writer because there was no time to equivocate. There was no time to second guess. It was like, no, this is going on the page. The page is going to the artist and it's going to be in someone's hand in three weeks. Like, you know, there's- What
3: happened when we started with the audio dramas, we had so many shows and we were writing most of them. And it was like, well, I have to finish this script this week because I have another one next week and another one the week after. So it has to get to a point where it can go to the cast and the director and that's it. It's done. It's gone down to the next one. So you just don't have time.
1: Yeah. Like sure. all writers, I have a hatred of deadlines and I have also learned to love them because they just do not allow you to na- navel gaze at
3: they made, all. They made us much better writers.
1: What's the next thing? What's solved the like you have stop and eat lunch, but when lunch is done, the problem must be solved and the letters must go on the page, and that is it. And uh and yeah, and I think doing projects like the like podcasts force that creativity you know even interview shows like this one and like the Hall Eight show you, you're for, like who's the next guest gonna be what's the next show gonna be about anything that gets you on a wheel that forces you to create and that's create anything is uh it's a gift you know and yes, I come from the experience of my dad was a guy who wrote two hundred novels uh, in his lifetime that got published, so he was definitely a treadmill, wake up, sit at the typewriter, knock it out with two fingers kind <sighs> of
2: a guy. Yeah. yeah, it's funny. No, it's I, funny you mention that because um, I remember you know we used to and when when we had time and and the the chance to go to comic conventions, um, you know, in the beginning of the of our of our podcast, I was always strict about you know okay. What's the script going to have? What, what are we going to talk about on this on this episode? But it wasn't until where one time I said, you know, F it at one show. It might have been Designer Con or something like that. I said, I'm just going to go down the row and interview anybody for like 10 minutes, see what happens. So during the course of that, I got out of my comfort zone and I learned how to adapt and pivot according to my guest. Uh-huh. And it was such a liberating experience. You mm-hmm. know, I, I and bet. now that and now that I when I go to shows, you know, I, more often than not, I don't have a, a script, you know, anymore. It's it's you know, it's just based on what whatever's happening at the time. You know, I remember I interviewed um um Ming Chen from uh, comic book man one time, and he just happened to have a, a booth near I think uh near um Action Lab uh one year. And I just said I just talked to him, I said, Hey, would you want to come on real quick? And so "Okay." He, he said he was down, so we we did it right there, and, and that was a pretty cool. Fifteen minutes.
0: So. Ming was sitting directly across from me at, at yeah. San Diego, and we, we were is. just we were just just trading barbs <laughs> the entire time. <laughs> um, but, but 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 what I remember, Aaron, uh, uh, with you is this is uh, it's one of the times you interviewed me, and you interviewed me at WonderCon, and we had we had set it up, you know, a week or two before. You're like, "Okay, right. well, we'll interview you." uh, you know, in, in this hotel, uh, at this time in this place. And I think I texted you about 30, 40 minutes before. And I said, uh, you know, what if, uh, what if I bring Steve Prince with me <laughs> <That's right>. <laughs> <laughs> completely, completely throw, you know, throw something in the, uh, in the spokes there, right. right. Uh, bump in the road. And you're like, oh, sure. And so I showed up with, uh, you know, with Steven Prince and, um, completely different show than it would have been Mm -hmm. completely different. And -hmm. and it wasn't your standard show, uh, a one-on-one thing. Um, It was more like this where, you know, I, I remember us, we were, we were sitting in this hotel meeting room sort of thing and we're all just kind of laid out in these chairs and we're just, uh, you know, it was, uh, there there was no video, but we were just talking like, you know, we went out to get a beer kind of like we're, we're doing now. And it was uh, it was really laid back. It had a really interesting vibe um, and that never would have been possible if it was kind of the standard, let's, let's sit across, you know, from uh, each other from, a, you know, at a desk and, uh, and do the standard talk show thing. Right? Right, um, right. It was That was cool. You know, when you were, and you, you were great, you know, I mean, you, you took us into some, you know, really interesting uh, places. Um, that was, uh and, and, and it's, it's something that I found, you know, my, uh, it, you know, in my career as a, a writer, um, you know, if I go in, I mean, I've, I, you know, I've pitched for, 16 plus years now in hollywood and and you know i started out going in with a really composed rehearsed pitch right um and um you're never going to be able to get that out first of all right you get three minutes in and an executive is going to be like well what about this and then suddenly you're, you're used to delivering this like 20 minute soliloquy and now you have to go off on a tangent right you have to go explore yep. this corner and then somehow find your way back it never works well um and uh the best pitches always were I mean you have to know your story backwards and forwards you have to be able to tell a rehearsed pitch uh, uh uh if 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 need be um but it always works best when you take it and you toss it out the fucking window and you just go you know the story just talk to the person just answer the questions just go where the you know go go where it takes you uh and those are the jobs that 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 I get I mean I remember um the best pitches I've ever done, the best me- meetings in Hollywood I've ever done, is when I kind of had no idea what I should be uh, pitching or proposing. I mean, the, the first job I ever got in Hollywood, I was a scared twenty-four year old kid, and I had to go. I had to go to uh, the Chateau Marmont and sit down with Penelope fucking Cruz at, at, at the at the height of her popularity, uh, and I had to pitch her and sell her on, on me as a writer. I, I, she was hiring me to co-write with Fernando Chueva, who won a, who had you know recently won an Oscar for a foreign language film for Bella Polk. And I'd sit down as a scared 24 year old goon and convince Penelope that I was a guy to write this movie that I didn't even fully understand. The, the 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 idea was that nobody could really understand this movie that we were gonna make, um, but she didn't care. She was trying to hire a person. She was trying to hire, uh, uh, she was trying to figure out how people, how the writer she was sitting down with thought, Right. Uh, how that person would pair with Fernando. So uh, she met with, I don't know how many writers it was, five, six, a dozen, whatever. But they all sat down and with these nebulous instructions that were given to us by CAA, they tried to pitch her a 20 minute story. And they sat down and vomited out 20 minutes of rehearsed plot. And it was fucking terrible. And I sat down and I'm like, I got what CAA gave me. I don't completely understand it. Let me Let me ask you questions. Let me figure out what you want. And then, and then uh, you know, it, it, what do you want out of this? Because you know better than anyone. You're the producer. You're going to be the star. Uh, let's talk through this. And then, and, and we did that. And that was how we, and for about five minutes, we talked about story. And then we talked for another hour about, like, where we grew up and uh, and our fucking dogs. And, uh, you know, the best place to get a sandwich in the city. And, um, and And we just got to know each other as people. And we learned each other's stories. And we learned the way we think and the way we... And, uh, and in the end, you know, five minutes after I walked out of the room, she called CAA and she's like, I want this guy. This guy's going to work well with Fernando. Um, and so I think that that applies to podcasting, interviewing. It applies to life in general. Right. Um, you know, anything that is tired and rehearsed will necessarily fail. Right. Um, but if you can go and just connect to people. Connect to the person in front of you, you, connect to the audience. I think it, it, it really shows.
1: You, um, you Basically, the only plans that work are the ones that allow for the fact that uh, plans never work. Right. You, you have to be. There's a great line uh, in a movie that I think is underappreciated called The Way of the Gun uh, by Chris McQuarrie, his first directing job after he won the Oscar for writing uh, Usual Suspects. Got a lot of great dialogue in it a million dollars isn't money. It's a motive with a universal adapter on it. (laughs) Tremendous line. But there's a line that Ryan Phillippe spits out towards the end of that movie where he says, a plan is just a list of things that aren't going to happen. (laughs) And I think, and I'm a big planner. I'm a big believer in plans. But as long as you bear that in mind, that it's, you're prepared for the fact that after step one, step two through two thirty 30 may not be forthcoming. And you may have to, you know, every once in a while, when I'm on issue three or four of something, I go back and look at the pitch document I sent in when I got hired. And I'm always kind of horrified. I'm like, I didn't write any of this, (laughs) you know, the, the first issue vaguely resembles what I pitched. And then two, man, two is way the hell off. And three, I don't know what the hell I was thinking was gonna happen in three. And I always get a little lost at that moment, but there's just something funny to me about, well, I didn't get fired by for not writing any of this.
0: Uh, that, that guy, Mike Tyson, said... Uh, yeah, you stole
2: has, my... I was going to say that.
1: Everybody
0: has a plan until they get punched in the face. <laughs> I was about
2: to say that, man.
0: <laughs> <laughs> there you go. That was some great hosting by me. Uh, but but, 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 I, but I think that's true. You know what I'm saying? Uh, um, I, I, there's there's uh, it's, there's some insight there. What, what what were you going to say about Mike's quote, Aaron? I, I, I'll, no, I'll no. give you that. I won't step up.
2: Okay, well, yeah, yeah. I was gonna, I was gonna segue uh, after saying the quote to saying that I think maybe the reason why I'm, I'm sort of able to sort of pivot in interviews is because I've spent the last twenty plus years being a graphic designer. So, in that environment, you have to learn how to pivot, and mm-hmm. and 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 especially with clients, a, yeah. a lot of very different types of clients that you work with. Um, and, and learning how to read people. You know, yep. w- one thing I miss about you know, doing uh, interviews on Skype is that I miss reading, you know, uh, the, the, the visual uh, language uh, components of an interview. You know, the body language. You know, how are they? Oh, maybe I shouldn't ask that question again. Or, or, or maybe, you know, stuff like that that you miss from actually being in front of somebody. Mm. Those, those tells that uh, help. Helped you sort of navigate, uh, you know, uh, murky waters of, an, of a potential uh, interview that could that could go wrong sometimes. Yeah. But you're able to sort of save it by saying, "Hmm, okay, I noticed something, or something in their eyes that tell you, okay, I want to go in this direction." You know. Yeah. Yep.
3: We even had to pivot uh, making audio dramas. There, we did the official audio drama adaptation of Archer and Armstrong for Valiant Entertainment. And awesome. we were in talks with them for a really long time. And this was before they got bought out and the whole management changed. But um, we were in talks with them for a really long time about what we were going to do. And we had pitched them original projects that were going to fill in the gaps in some of the books, the so things that were like one or two sentences in one panel. And like, that's a whole story right there. Let us tell that story. And they thought that was really cool. And so we came up with a couple of op- uh, options for that. And they liked one of them. So we outlined the full thing. And we were ready to go. And then... We were just waiting for the final approval to get started on scripts. And they were like, you know what? No, why don't you just adapt something that we've already done and do that? And so we had a, what were we going to do? We're like, we did all this work for you. We couldn't, you can't hold the hard line on that. You know, we're making it for them. So we're like, okay, that's what you want. Fine. We'll switch and we'll work on that now. And it, you know, we had to completely change gears, but you have to roll with the punches or you're just going to get knocked out.
1: Yep. A lot of, a lot of what I learned about that for years, I was a, I was a first AD for a long time. I was in film editor for decades, and there's a lot of pitching in that. There's a lot of saying, this doesn't work, and here's a thing that could work. Different kinds of those conversations as an, as an assistant director and as an editor, but a lot of times you're selling someone's own story back to them in a way that you think works better. Um, and it's gotten to the point where when I was doing it full time editing, I had a hard time watching the deleted scenes of any movie because all I could think of was the argument was the conversation that had to be had to talk the director out of the scene. Like I would watch there's a, there's a big reading of the will scene that was cut out of the opening of uh Bla- uh not blazing young Frankenstein. Like but and I, and literally I tried to enjoy it but the whole time I was watching it, I was like, Mel, this, like, we should get to Gene Wilder really fast. And this is like five minutes of people we never see again. It's a funny scene. We don't care. Like, all I could think watching the scene was all the things the editor had to do to make Mel Brooks get rid of this funny scene from this great movie. I couldn't really concentrate on it because, like, yeah, that gag is great, but we kind of repeat that in the third reel. Can we just... Let's just get to Gene in the classroom as fast as we can because he's the star of the movie. Audience is waiting to see Gene Wilder. They don't know who these five European character actors are. And it's just that funny thing of when your mind gets stuck in the process of it um, and it's the, you know, the best films and the best work of all kind creates a creates a trance where you never think about that stuff at all. You never you never think about all of the things you know about how things are made go out the window when something is made wrong. Right. And when something is made wrong, it's all you can think
3: of. All you know. That's true.
1: As an example, Raiders of the Lost Ark has more continuity errors in it than almost any film I've ever seen. Like just simple continuity, you know, objects not being where they were the last time you saw them. Uh, characters popping in and out of space and not where there's a ton of that in Raiders of the Lost Ark. You don't notice it because the movie's great. You have to see the movie twenty times and they go, "Oh wait, that there was a Nazi standing there in the last shot, and now we're <laughs> in another angle, and that guy has literally poofed out of existence somehow." Um, oh well. But, but the movie creates a trance, and you're like, "I'm on, I'm on board. Sell me more stuff. It's great." Um, anyway, on that positive note, uh, we're we're hitting the the hour thirty mark. So we should let everyone go back to their uh, their lives and their days. But thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, it was a real it was a real pleasure to have everybody. We usually end with going around and saying, you know, what do you got going on, and where can people find you? Aaron, why don't we start with you?
2: Sure. Um, you can find um, the Hall H show at hallh.com. dot uh, com. There's links there to uh, listen to the podcast and also other links where you can subscribe to the show. Um, you can also learn more about me. And find all my other social media links at uh, Aaron.HallH.com. Uh, besides Hall H, I do a lot of um, other things like graphic design. Um, I'm also a sort of uh, motivator for the uh, uh, the Comic-Con Fit uh, family. So uh, we're just a bunch of nerds trying to stay fit uh, ah. for for comic conventions and for life. So shout out to uh, Comic-Con Fit family. Um, that's basically it. You know, if, uh, if there's anybody out there who needs uh, any graphic design work, let me know.
1: <laughs> very nice Tilly and Susan
3: you can find all of our uh, audio work at pendantaudio.com uh, that links to all of our shows including links to all of them on iTunes and Spotify and everything else where you can just download the episodes right from the website and keep them to your hard drive forever if that's what you but we do know you prefer. probably
4: won't that you you'll probably go to iTunes <laughs> um,
3: and uh, all of our uh, writing credits and the rest of our writing work can be found at birdguest.com
4: and uh we're on twitter uh yes. susan l bridges and you're what i'm is just tilly
3: bridges okay
4: yep. i don't remember
3: i don't either really i think that's it, I'm it pretty
1: sure is
4: it okay
1: <laughs> <laughs>
3: it's linked to from birdguest.com either way we so do we'll a
4: lot of blah blahing on twitter so lots of star
1: trek it. that's what that's what twitter is for <laughs> that's all it's for yeah no more blah 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 as the kids say
2: <laughs> Well, thanks for uh, having having me on. I, I really oh, app- appreciate the opportunity. It, it was nice meeting Tilly and Susan, too. It was
3: wonderful Absolutely. meeting you. Yes, You're great. And
2: Ryland,
1: <laughs> where can we find you?
0: Uh, I am uh, at Ryland Grant on all forms of social media. It's R-Y-L-E-N-D-G-R-A-N-T. Uh, I always spell it because it's not a real name. My parents drunkenly arranged letters and saddled me with it. So uh, nobody ever knows how to spell it. So, uh, if you're watching the video, it's right there. Um, uh, it's also in the show notes. Um, my, uh, my comic books, uh, the Ringo award winning aberrants and the Ringo award nominated banjax can be found in fine comic shops everywhere and via comicsology and Amazon and all that noise. Uh, my two latest and greatest endeavors, uh, the peacekeepers, which is a Fargo S crime drama and the jump, which is a uh, paranoid thriller that takes place, uh, and an Astral Projection World uh, can be found now via Backerkit. Uh, if you just go to the peacekeepers one word, you'll find everything there along with a lot of kind of rare uh, Aberrant and Banjax Con variants and cool sign stuff and all of that good noise. Definitely uh, uh, check that out. Issue 2 of The Jump uh, will uh, be on Kickstarter in late March. Um, uh, I'm not quite certain when this episode's going to air, so it, it, it may, may be out already. Uh, we're running into that problem now, but it's a good problem to have. A uh, problem uh, to and have. It, yeah, I'll do uh, one last plug uh, for my, uh, my friend Sunil Gupta's book, Backable. Uh, uh which is a, a, a great book um uh with strategies for uh pitching your ideas pitching yourself it says the surprising truth behind what makes people uh take a chance on you the reason i'm plugging it other than it's a uh you know the book uh written by a good friend of mine is that um i am featured inside the book um the uh um the uh the story of uh my film tv writing partner uh, dick runeriki and i uh, selling our uh, our idea to Justin Lin with the help of um, of uh, you know a, a few Hollywood luminaries uh, is kind of used as a, a case study in this book, um, and it's pretty awesome. Um, I've I've uh, I, I read the book, I listened to the audio book, I was fucking in- inspired, and I think it's going to kind of completely remake the way I kind of pitch my comic ideas. And so uh, for uh, for comic creators out there, would be comic creators, it's a great read. I think uh, I think it'll shake you up in a, a very good way. So uh, check it out.
1: I will, I will have to order that from the Amazons or somewhere. Uh, I can be found at uh, davidavellonefreelance.com, and that, that has all the buttons you can push to go to all of the various things. Uh, if you go to Tilly and Susan's Pendant Audio, you can find the, uh, the Pulp Today podcast, which I'm still, uh, still pumping out, and <laughs> there are 40 whole episodes of that uh, coming your way. And uh, still recording more of those. I had a conversation just the other day with Dynamite. And I think they're finally going to announce the next things I have coming out in April or May. So it's still a ways off. But there's a new Elvira series coming and probably a couple of uh, Kickstarters from them. And probably a big new Kickstarter with me and Kevin Eastman coming uh, on the horizon. A completely new project. Uh, something he's been working on for years and he finally roped me into. Which is exactly how Drawing Blood started. Anyway, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for listening and we'll catch you on the next exciting episode.
2: Peace, cheers. Talk to you later.
0: Thanks all. if you're watching us on youtube be sure to smash that like button if you're listening to us on apple podcasts spotify or other fine purveyors of your crack please leave us a five-star review and wherever you're watching and or listening subscribe 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 we'll see you back here next week for more madcap hijinks on the writer's block
3: for more information visit pendantaudio.com thanks for listening